You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. As most of you know, we've been uh, making our way through the book of Galatians and talking about the amazing freedom that we have and the glorious inheritance that we have as believers through Christ. And um, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians uh, because he's concerned that the believers in, Gal- in Galatia are giving up this freedom that they've been given in Christ and, and they're exchanging it uh, by submitting to the confines of the law of Moses. These false teachers have come in, these Judaizers are saying, oh, you have to follow the law of Moses plus Jesus, right? So, um, and the law of Moses, which uh, we learned about last week, was only meant to be this temporary guardian until Jesus came to fulfill God's promise of blessing and redemption for them. So, um, like we learned that only by faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of his spirit are we set free. And so we're going to be continuing uh, on that topic this morning as we go into Galatians 4. So if you want to turn there with your Bibles, if you have them, if not, it'll be up on the screen. Galatians 4, 1 to 11. We're going to be reading that this morning. So again, this is Paul talking to the churches in Galatia. And he says to them, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Let's pray again really quick. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and who we are to you, Lord. That we are, are your children that you've adopted us into your family. Lord, as we talk about that this morning, I pray that you would just, just open up in, in our hearts and minds what that, what that truly means and how amazing that is. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So you know how sometimes when, when we experience or, or do something in our lives that's super embarrassing, and then from that moment on, it haunts us for life? Um, like, like even though everyone who saw your embarrassing thing, that they don't remember it, they, they've forgotten it already, but, but still every once in a while your brain just reminds you of that moment. Do you guys know what I'm talking about or does that just happen to me? Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and you get that same sinking feeling and, and that same embarrassing feeling that, that you got, like, like as if it just had happened. Um, 
I don't know if that happens to you guys, but it happens to me all the time. I have plenty of those embarrassing moments that my brain constantly reminds me of. And there's this one in particular that still haunts me to this day. And, and it was when I was younger, probably four or five years old. I used an example of when I was four or five years old last week. That means I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel with my sermon illustrations here. I'm going all the way to when I was a toddler. Um, but anyways, I was probably four or five years old, and our church service had just ended, so everyone was, you know, gathered in the, the lobby or foyer or foyer, whatever you want to call it. Um, you're all gathered in there, crowded in there, talking, drinking coffee, all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm not sure why, but I remember that I was looking for my dad. I was trying to find him. Maybe I, I can't remember why. Maybe I tripped or something, or maybe I was just feeling uh, really shy, and I just needed to find my dad or whatever, right? But I remember... That in this crowded group of adults, it was, it was really hard to find him. And as I maneuvered around their, their torsos, um, I started to grow more anxious and, and worried that, oh, maybe, maybe my mom and dad left without me, right? <laughs> of course, they wouldn't have. That, you know, parents don't do that, right, parents? Um, <laughs> Awkward laughing. Um, that's, that's the thought process of a five-year-old shy kid. My, my son Elliot is like that too. He always thinks we're going to forget him or leave without him. Like, why would we do that? Um, but anyways, finally, after minutes of looking, uh, I finally spotted my dad. And then with a sigh of relief and jubilation, I, I raced toward him, threw my arms around his leg with a big hug, and, and I yelled, There you are, Dad! Unfortunately, my dad doesn't remember this story, though. Um, which is easily explained because uh, as I looked up to see his face, I discovered that it wasn't my dad at all. <laughs> I was hugging some strange guy who started laughing at me in surprise, and and you know surprised that I called that he was being called dad by this random kid. So my my face I'm sure went red, and and all of a sudden that security and relief and comfort I had felt knowing my dad was near was was replaced with a wave of horror and embarrassment and other feelings that come with it. Right? I was I was mortified as I backed away from this laughing man, um, <laughs> and you know I ran off or whatever. Right? I, as I said to this day, that that memory like still pops in my mind sometimes just randomly, just like my brain just wants to like humble me or something like I don't know why but it but it always it constantly pops into my head uh, and when I think about it and, and I ponder you know one of the weirdest things um, about that incident is the fact that that I called this random guy dad right I, I mean for all I know he may have been a dad to somebody else but for me to call him dad that that felt really weird and wrong you know, simply because he wasn't my dad, right? Even though the word itself is just a title and not a name, we don't call other dads dad, right? That, that's weird. We only call our father, or at least someone who is a father figure to us, uh, we only call them dad, not, not anyone else's. You know, my, my sons' friends sometimes call me Liam's dad or Elliot's dad, you know, if they forget my name. But they don't ever just call me dad, even though I am a dad. They, they would never call me dad, because to call someone that implies that they're your dad, right? We only call our dads dad. And so in that case, it's, it's more than just a title when we use it, right? It expresses a familial and a, an affectionate relationship. It implies that they're your provider and, and comforter or someone to look up to, uh, someone that loves you, someone you respect, someone, someone that protects you and teaches you, someone who, who will pass down to you his inheritance, right? Um, but... 
<laughs> Most of all, I just want to make sure I'm in that. Most of all, when you call someone dad, it means that he's your dad and you're his child, right? It means that he's your dad and you're his child. And this is, this is the glorious truth that, that the Apostle Paul is expressing to the Galatian church here. He's saying that because of Jesus' work at the cross, by the, by the power of his spirit within us, we get to call God, the, the creator of the universe, our dad. Verses 4 to 7 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Abba was the word that, that Jewish children, young and old, used and still use to this day as an endearing term for their fathers. So Paul's saying to us here that through Jesus... We've been adopted as sons, which means God's not just likened to a father figure to us, or, and he's definitely not some distant being, right? No, he's Abba Father. He's my dad. He's your dad. And Paul expresses in verse 9, right, we, we've, we've come to know God, or rather known by God. In Christ we know him and he knows us. Born again and adopted into the family line. And like I mentioned last week, Paul, Paul likens us to sons. Because back then it was the sons who became heirs to their father's inheritance and property when, when they reached adulthood. So in other words, in Christ we become joint heirs with Christ to receive as, as the beneficiaries with full rights, the blessings, promises, and an eternal inheritance of our Abba Father. Just as First Peter 1, to 3, 1, 3 to 4 declares, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. Th- think of what this means. The this, this size of this inheritance. Right? All glory and all things have been given to Christ. And we're co-heirs to that. It's waiting for us. It's, it's sealed by a spirit within us. We don't have to earn it or contest it. It's yours. It's ours for eternity. And, and to think, Paul reminds us, that, that in our sin, we were formerly slaves and orphans with, with, with nothing to show for it. The Jewish people, he, he reminds them, were held in captivity under the, under the confines and curse of the law. They're children of God. Sure, but, but as he says in the passage, children back then were, were comparable to slaves when it came to obtaining their inheritance. They couldn't. As we talked about last week, they couldn't take hold of, of their inheritance, of God's promise to them, until they were released from their guardian, which for them was the law, right? Until they reached adulthood, so to speak. So they were formerly slaves to the law. And Paul also parallels that same idea with the Gentiles 
who he reminds them were also held in slavery to their worship of idols and false gods in the ways of the world. As it says about them in verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So enslaved to idols, false gods, ourselves. And yet now, because of God's grace and the face and work of Jesus Christ, we're not only redeemed from that slavery, but we also become heirs to the kingdom of God. So we, we previously didn't know God at all, Paul's saying. We didn't know God at all, and now we get to call him dad. This is incredible. This, this, this is grace and love, immeasurable. And this is the reality of, of a God of grace who pursues us and, and rescues us and calls us his own simply because he loves us. Sounds like the kids are having fun downstairs. <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> anyway, speaking of, of kids, uh, Jesus actually told a story about uh, two, two sons that parallels what Paul's explaining here concerning our freedom from slavery. And, and our adoption as sons. And, and though it's kind of a longer passage, I, I want to read that with you right now, especially because Jesus is a way better teacher than I am, first of all, but also because this, this story uh, highlights the amazing grace and love that God has for us as our Father. So if you want to turn with me now to Luke 15, uh, verses 11 to 32, we're going to just read through that right now. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me as one of your hired hands. So he got up. And went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was, was moved with compassion. And his father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, well, your, your brother has arrived and, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious. 
and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. His father came out and begged him. And he answered his father, look, I've served you all these years and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So here we, here we have this younger son, first of all, who, who takes his share of the family inheritance and pieces out, right? He gives up his sonship. He, he ditches his father and family business. One of the greatest insults of the day for a son to do, not only for his father, but for the whole community. But he doesn't care, right? Because he's not planning on ever coming back. And so he takes it all, and then he moves to some ritzy neighborhood and starts living the high life, fine wines, expensive clothes, prostitutes, parties, right? He's, he's loving the freedom of, of getting to do whatever he wants, which, by the way, is our culture's perceived definition of happiness, autonomy. As Joshua Ryan Butler writes, this is our story. We, we want to rule the world without God. We want to live our lives in independence rather than communion. We snatched the billions and bolted for the distant land grabbing what we could to live without him. But beyond the horizon lies destruction. We have squandered dad's generosity on ourselves. So as Gentiles, right, we're like the younger son here. We, we took our inheritance and ran from God to live for ourselves, placing our, our worship on, on money, on passions and desires, on our riches, on idols, demons even, as Paul writes beings that by nature are not gods. That's what he's talking about there. That's, that's what he's referring to. Demons, spiritual beings, or, or as they're called in both the Old and the New Testament, gods with a lowercase g. I'm not saying that, that they're gods, capital G. God is God. Elohim of all Elohim. That's what that means. But the Elohim means spiritual beings who want our worship, who want to be worshipped. So we need to understand that when, when we turn our worship or, or trust towards something else that, that's not God, of gods, first of all, we become slaves to it. We become slaves to it. And we, and we may not realize it, especially in our uber-intellectual Western society, right, or in, our mind, in that mindset. But sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes behind that thing or idol we've turned to is, is actually a very real spiritual being or demon demanding your worship and your attention. And I, and I wish I had time to talk about this subject more and my recent experience with that subject, but I don't want to get sidetracked right now. Maybe another time. Um, the point is we often don't realize the seriousness and spiritually slippery slope of our idolatry. And of course, as the younger son soon found out, with that kind of sinful and idolatrous lifestyle, it's fun at first. It's fun at first, right? That's the temptation. But rock bottom comes swiftly. One day it's the high life, but next the younger son's credit card bounces and he's left with nothing and no one forced to take a job with a Gentile pig farmer. And I'm not sure if there's anything worse than for a Jew to be working on a pig farm, but that's all he has going for him. Jesus is implying here that he's, he's, he's sunk in the lowest that you can go. 
He thought he had freedom, but his slavery to sin and selfishness have left him miring in, in the mud of a pig pen. So his only option left is to grovel back to his dad in, in repentance and hope his dad will at least let him work as a slave or as a servant. Because he thinks, well, the servants get, get, get paid more and have more food than I do. And we need to understand, first of all, that in those days, returning home after doing something like this was unheard of. Okay? He actually ran the risk of being stoned to death, according to the law, if he returned home. That's, that's how much of a big deal this was. What he did was socially, morally, and legally uncool. But the younger son, he's got, he's got no other options. He's, he's dead if he doesn't. So he takes the risk, and he heads home, embarrassed, shamed, guilt-ridden, dirty, hungry. But this is, this is when the beautifully unthinkable thing happens. Verse 20, it says, while he was still a long way off, a long way off, you know, the size of an ant, his father saw him. That means his father was, was waiting for him, right? His father saw him. And was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. And the, the image on display here is, as the father runs out toward his filthy and, and sinful son who, who, had, who had abandoned him, it's like the grace that God has for us. As I saw someone post on Twitter yesterday, it said, religion says, I messed up. Dad's going to kill me. But the gospel says, I messed up. I need to call dad. I just thought that was, that was very poignant and beautiful, very simple, but amazing. The, the religious says, I messed up. Dad's going to kill me. Right? The son wasn't expecting his dad's reaction. He thought his dad would, would punish him. Worst case, kill him. Best case, maybe have a little bit of mercy on him and make him a slave. But no, the father was, was waiting for him, watching for him looking out for his return, hoping and longing for it. And then, as soon as his son came over the horizon, ready to repent, his dad was moved with such a deep compassion and love that he ran out to meet him. And despite the pig smell, despite what his son did to him, right, he, he hugged him and he kissed him. It didn't matter what condition the son was in. He loved him. And while the son, you know, takes a moment to repent, expressing his loneliness and sin, and now he has no right to be his son, it seems as though, you know, the father's already moved past that. doesn't even say anything about that. Right? He immediately turns to one of his servants and says, you know, get him new clothes. Right? So not only is the son freed from his notion of, of being a slave, he's freed from his filth. Because his father gets him new clothes and sandals and even puts a ring on his finger. He then orders the servants to kill the fattened calf. That's not a cheap thing. And he throws a party, you know, food, music, singing, dancing. The whole works because his son is home once again. He was dead to them but is now alive. And just imagine how the younger son is feeling in that moment. If, if, if it was me, I'd, I'd be in a, you know, in a state of shock and awe here like, Wait a minute, I, I don't deserve this. Is this party going on for you? You're like, I don't deserve this. But at the same time, though, I'd, I'd be filled with such relief 
and, and comfort and, and joy for not only being forgiven, but also welcomed back with, with open and affectionate arms. He'd given up his sonship, but the father gave it back to him without question. This is the story of how God receives us as sinners. And in, in the same way, this is the same idea that Paul's expressing to the, to the Gentiles in this passage from Galatians that we read. That, that they, or we, were once far off as sinners. And in the same way, you know, or sorry, but, but through Jesus, by God's grace alone, we're, we're brought near to God and adopted as sons. As it says in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 and 12 to 13 as well, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Just like the prodigal son, right? He, he, was, he was dead. Close to death in his sins, right? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So remember this, right? I'm skipping to verse 12 now. All of, all of Ephesians 2 talks about this, but I'm skipping to verse 12. And so and with that in mind, remember, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So at one time we were far off in our sin, alienated from God, slaves to the course of this world, just like the prodigal son, right? But by his grace, he invites us into redemption, into freedom, into the family and inheritance of his son, into the party, right? And God wants you at that party. He, he wants to throw a party in your name. He wants to sing over you as his child. He desires it so much that, that Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, willingly paid the price so that we could share in his inheritance. He humbled himself, as the passage says. He was born under the law so that, we could be, so that he could redeem us from the curse of the law by taking the weight of our sin upon himself at the cross so that by his blood we can, we can be... We can be cleansed and washed clean of the muck, right? So that God can strip us of our rags and clothe us in the righteousness and glory of Christ. Which means that in Christ then, sealed by his spirit, we're no longer slaves, but co-heirs who get to feast and commune with our Abba Father at the table. Think of it like this. Right after Jesus was baptized, it says in Matthew 3, 317 and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased and when we repent and believe in the name of jesus this is what happens god sees us the same way he sees his son in other words that same loving voice from heaven sings the same declaration over us over you this is my child with whom i am well pleased He's talking about you. So why, Paul asks, would you give that up? Why would you give that up? This, this freedom, this life, your, your adoption, your inheritance. 
just to go back and do another form of slavery. Because this is, in essence, what the Galatians were doing by, by inheriting and, and putting their confidence in the law of Moses in, into works. By doing this, they're just submitting themselves back into slavery. Galatians 3, 8 to 11 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. He's saying, you used to be slaves, right? But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He's asking them, you, you guys want to be slaves again? That makes no sense. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. He's saying you know God. You, you are known by God. You already have that in Christ. So how can you turn back to these, these worthless elementary principles of the world, to, to the observance of, of days and to the law, to empty works? You don't need that. In Christ, you're already accepted and loved. In the story of the two brothers, we, we also see the older brother, right? And he's throwing a self-righteous temper tantrum. And he's kind of like these false teachers that have come into the Galatian churches, the, the Judaizers, as we've been calling them. Like them, the older brother's focus is on his, his comp, uh, and focus and confidence is on his works. Right? That's why he's so upset and furious and, and angry. He spent his days working hard and doing good and being obedient and being, you know, religious. And no one ever threw a party for him. Didn't even give me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Such a teenager. Just kidding. Teenagers are awesome. If you're, if you're out there. <laughs> But he doesn't think it's fair, right, that, that, his, that his younger brother gets to come back without, without punishment or consequence or, or, or having to, to, you know, earn his place as, as the son, at least. He doesn't think it's fair. Right? He, he's not a fan of this grace that's being poured out. When we're self-righteous, we're, we're never a fan of grace. But the reality is, is that his slavery to the law, to, to his works, kept him from receiving grace himself, even when it was freely offered. Right? His dad came out and begged him to come in. He was giving up his sonship for slavery. Do we realize that he was giving up his sonship for slavery? let's be honest just like the the two brothers or like the galatians the judaizers we we also have a tendency to to submit ourselves back into slavery too maybe it's to religious works or maybe it's to money or or bitterness or or envy or lust or adultery or or pride or anxiety or fear or selfishness, right? The list goes on. The point is that whatever that idol is for you, we we do this too. We have a tendency to give up our sonship and turn back to the things that enslave us. 
But when we do this, we're, we're actually giving authority to, to that which Jesus has already defeated in his death and resurrection. We're submitting to things and, and spiritual beings and temptations that Christ has already put into submission. So Paul's right in asking this. Why would, why would we do that? Again, by the power of his spirit, we, we get to call God our dad. We, we get to be heirs to the kingdom of God. He's even throwing a party to celebrate it. So why, why would we, we turn away from that? If you think of it this way, you know, would the prodigal son repeat his mistake again? Probably not. I think he's learned his lesson. And that would be pretty foolish if he did, right? And in the same vein, if, if we recognize where we've come from and how much grace God has given us, if, if we truly take even one minute to think about how much we've been given, how, how far we were in our sin compared to how much we now have in Christ. How, how incredible it is that we've been set free from being slaves to sin and instead adopted as sons of righteousness. How, how could we ever turn away from that? How, how, could we, how could we give that up to become slaves again? Which is why with, with that in mind, Paul, Paul challenges us later in Galatians 5.1. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So here's the the question for all of us then. To, To what or to whom are we tempted to submit? And similarly, what... You know, what are we currently in bondage to that's keeping us from experiencing the fullness of everything that Jesus has given us? Is it guilt? Is it, you know, bitterness? Like I said before, money or, or addictions? Is it, is it works? You know, your feelings of self-righteousness? Maybe it's feelings of, of worthlessness. Maybe you're, you're like the prodigal son. You, you feel like, like you don't deserve any grace. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's your ego. Whatever it is, in Christ, you can overcome those things. Because whatever it is that's keeping you in bondage, 1 John 4, 4 gives us this promise, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. All these things that keep us in slavery, you have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Turn to Jesus. Turn back to Jesus. Through him we find freedom, deliverance, mercy, and grace. Through him we find our Abba Father running towards us with his arms stretched out in mercy and love. Psalm 107.14 says, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Through Jesus, all of our bonds are broken. Through Jesus, we're set free. And through Jesus, we find we're called children of the Most High God. Invited to sit at the table with our Abba Father, where we get to feast upon his goodness and mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's, it's so amazing to think about 
the way that you love us, how much you love us, how you pursue us. How you have adopted us as your children. Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much. We thank you that through Jesus we find that that freedom, that hope, that grace that mercy, that deliverance, Lord. And I pray for anyone here this morning that that is in bondage to something or someone. Lord, that even right now, you would break those chains in their lives. That you would set them free. That nothing would would hinder us from, from coming into your presence and knowing you. Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit so that we can, we can cry out without, without anything in our, in hindering us, Lord, that we can cry out to you and call you Abba, Father. Jesus, I thank you that you humbled yourself, that you redeemed us from the curse of the law, from the weight of our sin so that we could come near to God, so that we could be covered in your righteousness, so that we could share in your inheritance as sons, Lord. We give you all the glory. And in your name we pray this. Amen.